Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, have you ever gone to the supermarket and you grab one of those shopping carts where one of the wheels is out of alignment with the others? And you're pushing the, the cart around the store and you're fighting with it the whole time. Sometimes it gets worse the heavier the cart is. When something in a system is not aligned with the purpose of that system, then it's a pain in the neck. And if it's a pain in the neck with a little system like a shopping cart, imagine a bigger system, a more complex one. Imagine building a house, for instance. When you build a house, you have the master builder, you have the, the plans drawn up by the architect. And the last thing that you want, if you're the framer, or if you're the, the builder, the last thing that you want is a, a framer who, who decides to build it not according to the plan, but according to his own likes and dislikes. Imagine you had a framer like that working on your house, you're the general contractor, and he, and he says, you know, I, I, if, I was, if this was my house, I, I would build it this way and build it that way, and it turns out totally differently than it's supposed to. That would be a problem. You want framers who align their wills with the will of the builder. And sometimes you're working on a project where the consequences of misalignment aren't just awkwardness and having to rip things down and do things again, but sometimes they can have life and death consequences. Think of building a spaceship, for instance. When you're building a spaceship with a team, everything has to be according to spec, or you might have catastrophic failure and people might die. So you can't have an engineer with his own ideas who simply changes out the materials or the technique for installing the heat-resistant shield because maybe the ship will overheat and blow up on re-entry, killing all the crew. When you're building a spaceship, you don't want maverick engineers each doing their own thing. You want everyone to be aligned with the specifications, aligned with the plan, and together you work to build the project towards its goal. The universe is a massively complex system with countless parts, all designed to work together beautifully in a most intricate way to display and magnify the glory of God and to grant much enjoyment and life to God's children. And in the universe, we human beings have the privilege of contributing to this glorious project. And all the pain, all the hurt, all the sadness, all the destruction, all the death that we see around us and in our own lives is the result of man not being aligned with the will of the Creator. Now, the Lord Jesus is teaching us to pray in the words of the Lord's Prayer. And he directs us to begin with our greatest and highest priority— that we would ask God that his name be hallowed because that's what it's all about. That's why we exist. That's why the universe was created. God is worthy. He is worthy of all praise and honor and glory from every creature for all time. And so that's where our prayers start. That's where all of our prayers should begin. 
We want God to be glorified. And God is sovereign. God rules over time and, and space. And that's why we ask that his name might be hallowed and glorified through the advance of his kingdom as more and more people bow the knee and acknowledge his sovereignty and lordship and worship him as the king of kings. And so you see the connection as you go through the petitions of the Lord's Prayer. They're not just individual uh, separate things, but they're tightly interconnected. God will be glorified, that's the first petition, in the advance of his kingdom, that's the second petition. And his kingdom will advance as more and more people submit their wills to his will. And that's the third petition which we come to this afternoon. That's what we're asking for in the third petition. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In heaven. That's what we want to see on earth, the way his will is done in heaven. Well, how is his will done in heaven? We can just turn to Psalm 103, and we look at verses 20 and 21. 103 verse 20, it's on page 502 in your pew Bible. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. And so the scripture, Psalm 103, speaks about the angels who willingly and faithfully carry out the will of God in heaven. Now look at the verse before the ones we read. If you have your Bible open, look at verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. His kingdom means that he is served by servants who obey him, who do his will. Those things are intimately connected. And so we ask your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, and we ask that he would work in us that same readiness and willingness and faithfulness as the angels have. When the Lord sends them forth, they don't delay, they don't dilly-dally, they don't start arguing and talking back. When God says to the angel, go, the angel goes. And when he calls the angel, come, the angel comes. And we asked we ask God in prayer, Lord, make us like that. But there's more, besides what the catechism draws our attention to, there's more to learn from how God's will is done in heaven. Because in heaven, besides the angels, there's also the heavenly beings who perfectly worship and obey God at every moment. And on the throne of heaven itself sits a man, a human being like us, with flesh and blood. It is the risen and ascended and glorified Lord Jesus Christ. And he sits on the throne of the universe. And the universe is ruled by Jesus, King of kings, Lord of lords. The universe is ruled by a human being whose will is perfectly aligned with the will of God. Now that didn't come easy. That came at a great cost. The Lord Jesus came 
as the last Adam. The first Adam introduced catastrophic failure into the creation. The first Adam said, my will be done in heaven as it is on earth. And we, we know what that looks like. We feel the painful consequences every day in our lives. The last Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, came to fix what our first father messed up. And he was prophesied in the Old Testament. We sang, we read Psalm 40, I delight to do your will, O my God. That was the, the key focus of his life here on earth. I delight to do your will, O my God. Now the Lord Jesus, true God, was fully human. And in his state of humiliation, when he was on earth, he did not in his human nature have full access to all the knowledge that he has as true God. And that's why he struggled in the Garden of Gethsemane. And how very human that is. There is a painful thing towards which and through which God is driving us. And we want to avoid it. We don't want the pain. We want to avoid it. We, we want it to be over. We want it to be gone. And so we, we know how Thoroughly human it is what the Lord Jesus prays there in the Garden of Gethsemane. If it is possible, let this cup pass from me. There was nothing wrong with that. That wasn't a sin. But his desire as a human being was, Lord, please, if it's possible, spare me from this pain. And yet, the Lord Jesus says, perfect human being, sinless man, gives that qualifier that belongs to every request that the child of God brings in prayer. If you add this, this qualifier, then your prayer will always be answered. And here it is. He says, yet not my will, but your will be done. Now, there's nothing wrong with pleading that the Lord take away affliction and suffering. But the child of God understands that there is something even more important than my freedom from pain. There is something even more important than my freedom from affliction in this life. The child of God understands that sometimes it is the will of God to afflict us. That in and through affliction, he brings glory to his name and he prepares and molds us for glory. Now, you remember we, we read Psalm 40. We sang a part of it. And you remember how Psalm 40 began. Psalm 40 began down in the pit. He drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog. Now think about that for a moment. When we were in Brazil, we had a hand-dug well, which if I recall correctly, was about 50 meters deep. That's a very deep well, especially if it's dug by hand. And imagine falling into such a pit, 
and you're at the bottom of the well and it's dark and you've got a broken leg and you have no way of climbing out. Now imagine somebody has thrown some water down there, some bottles of water. You have a, they've thrown some blankets and pillows and maybe a few painkillers and you've made yourself as comfortable as you can. And then imagine somebody comes down and climbs down. They attach a rope to you in a harness and they return to the, stop and they, to the top and they start pulling you up. And so you're being pulled up out of the pit. But as you're being pulled up, you're swinging from side to side. And as you bump into the sides, you scrape your knees and your elbows, and that hurts. You don't like it. And every now and again, your broken leg bumps against the side, and that's a massive pain. And so imagine, especially if you're younger and you're, and, 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 and you're not so uh, thoughtful and experienced and mature in life, imagine the temptation of saying, just leave me alone. I was down there in the darkness. I had my water and my blankets and my pillow and my painkillers. Just let me doze off there in the darkness because the way out hurts too much. Now, if, if you ask that, that would be a foolish thing to ask. But that's often what we do to God. He's pulling us out of the pit of the miry bog and he's raising us to the heights of glory and it hurts. And we get scraped and bumped. And sometimes we're like, God, just leave me in the darkness. Leave me alone because it hurts less when you're not saving me. The problem is, is that our will is far too short-sighted. Our will is too limited. It is not comprehensive. It does not have the full picture. We don't know what God is doing with the afflictions with which he afflicts us. And so we say to God, get rid of them, stop them. Whatever you do, stop them. And we don't know what blessings he has in store for us in the, in the scheme of eternity. God's program of creation and renewal and glorification will go on. It will be established. It will come to fruition. And we need to learn. We need to ask God to align our wills with his. What does the apostle say to the Thessalonians? 1 Thessalonians 4, 3. He says this, For this is the will of God, your sanctification. This is the will of God, your sanctification. God's will is that you would be made holy. God's will is that you would fit into his created universe as a man, as a woman, as a child who is sanctified, who is made holy, and that means who is dedicated to his service, to his glory, to his worship. That's what he made you to be. That's what he wants you to be. That's where he is bringing you to be. And he is pulling us up out of the darkness of our own selfishness and self-centeredness and small-mindedness and worldly focusedness. And he's pulling us up out of that darkness into the light of his glory. That is his will. And we often 
as we look at the little picture, we often aren't aligning our wills with his. Now, we're all born with a will. That's a good thing. The Lord doesn't want mindless zombies and robots just blindly following him without thinking. He, he wants real human beings who, as an act of the will, also put their trust and faith in him. We're all born with a will, and you can tell real quick that even little babies, even little babies have a will of their own. And that's good. The goal of parenting should not be to crush the will of our children. But the will needs to be directed. It needs to be aligned. If our will, even if it's, if it's for good and lawful things, but if our will is the main driving force in our lives, then we will not be aligned with the purpose of the universe, with the purpose of our existence, which is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Then we will wander around causing catastrophic failures and bringing pain and distress into our lives and the lives of those around us. We know where it leads. We've seen it. We have thousands of years of human history to show it to us what it looks like when man follows his will. But when our will is aligned with the will of God, then we begin to really live. Then we throw ourselves into the work and, and advance of his kingdom then we are useful instruments in God's hands. Then we are productive servants in his service. Then his name is glorified and hallowed in every tiny detail of our hearts and lives. Lord, we don't want to be that one wheel on the shopping cart which keeps pulling everything out of alignment. We want to be perfectly aligned with your will. We want to accept your will, follow your will, do your will, obey your will. And we want to do it perfectly. And we want to do it all the time. But we can't. We're not able. And so, Lord, please help us. Please make it happen. By the power of your spirit, make us like the Lord Jesus. Help us to say, I delight to do your will, O oh my God. Your law is within my heart. In whatever situation you've placed us, in whatever role or office you've given us, O oh Father, let us faithfully contribute and joyfully participate in the advance of your kingdom to the glory of your holy name. In Jesus' name, amen.